0: Hey guys, welcome back to episode 15 of The Harbour Site, And finally I've got here uh, Mel Chansey. And man, dude, it took us... uh, This is like try three? Yes, the third try for sure. Mel Chansey's such a big deal, I had to actually come to (laughs) Boca to... do a podcast with
1: them. <laughs> Let's tell the. Could we, I tell the story yeah, real quick. So yeah, yeah. we were supposed to come by you uh, probably what four or five months ago. It was yeah. It was last. Uh, I think it was last last year. year. Yeah. Okay, and then Sid's wife Jax, got sick. Right. So we had tap out. That's that, what it was. That, yeah, 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 we yeah. tapped out literally yeah. hours before we were getting on the flight. Right, and uh, so then we were coming. Um, January, january something yeah the end of january i yeah. got sick yeah <laughs> i got the mumble that was going around and uh we had to tap out to come up by you so yeah. this, is, this is this is the, the third try <laughs> <laughs> finally said it's
0: just like you know what we're we're just come down here i'm, I'm booking the studios do it so it's it's a little bit different but this is yeah this, this is nice spot in boca yeah. the weather's great the weather's uh, great man it's dreary up in north carolina right now yeah and we get to hang for the last 48 hours right? yeah it's awesome it's been good man yeah so mr mel Chansey, there's a lot of stuff that we can, we'll have to we'll tap dance around if we need to and we can edit it out but uh you've got quite the story and not only that but you've got quite the future yeah yeah man so so real quick give me the the top level like where are you from and uh and give me the a little bit of the childhood
1: aspect where you grew up so i was born and raised in a suburb of chicago uh, in illinois uh, a town called Elsop, and uh crazy because i have the the cleaver life right the mom and dad my dad was a hard worker all his life my yeah. mom ran the the little league that ran the bank and uh you know my mom and dad were very um no you know known in the in the community right with the kids and the and everything they did my dad was my baseball coach growing up and everything and uh my two sisters went to catholic school it's two sisters and me you know so i was raised in that you know the, the white picket fence beaver cleaver house and uh <clears throat> as I grew up and stuff and, you know, started, you know, like in like motorcycles, I had dirt bikes and everything. And, uh, so the story goes is there was a little gym by my house and it was, a, a paid 10 bucks a month. You got a key and it was a real small, you know, it was, a, it had oh, kind man, of old school, old gym. school, concrete yeah. weights, sore covers and stuff to put on the bars. It was an old school gym and it was called Jay's. And I happened to be, um, is it still there? No, no. Oh. You know, everything got developed around it. Oh, okay. People sold the house that had it. It was a guy that had it in his backyard. And uh, I happened to be 15, and I went over there. You know, It was right by one of the Little League fields. And I uh, went in there, and I started training, and... I met these biker guys in there and used to ride their motorcycles to the gym and they poured concrete. So, you know, they'd come in and train in their jeans and work boots and no shirts and stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> so they said, uh, how old were you? then?" I was 15, 15. Yeah. And then, uh, they, uh, st- started showing me how to lift different. Hey kid, you're doing that wrong and stuff. And I was like scared of them and stuff. And, uh, and then, you know, being training there for a year or so when I was, uh, 16, I was just, you know, 15 to 16, I was under 16. I was a freshman in high school. And, um, I got kicked out of high school uh, because I punched the principal, and the that was the story. What? Yeah, yeah. If you see the old podcast, you know it. So, I, me, and a friend of mine got into a fight in school, and uh, like I said, I was under sixteen, and uh, so we were getting suspended. So I was in the in the in the principal's office, and my mom had to come. And this principal was kind of a hard guy when I walked in, my mom was in the room crying, you know, and he was like, you know, if you knew how to raise your son and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he didn't know that. But oh. I came, my mom was all Italian. So I came from a strict, my dad was German and Irish. We ate together. We, this family was strict. I yeah. just veered off. <clears throat> so, so seeing slightly, him I so up, yeah, slightly. Yeah, yeah. Veered off, <laughs> and seeing my mom crying like that just kind of threw me off a little bit. And I jumped over to the desk and socked him in the face and then I, I seen the security coming, so I took off running out of the school, ran through there. What was her reaction? My mom's. Yeah. Well, Why didn't see her till I got home? She stayed there, and I ran out because I seen the. So security So you just smacked him and yes, ran. Yes. Punched him right in the face, and then ran, running through houses and stuff, thinking I'm slick and stuff. And I show up. You know, that it was about a twenty-five minute run from my house to the school. And I get, to the, I get to my house and stuff and I'm in the backyard and I walk in the house and my mom's in there and then here comes the cops, you know, oh, the, our man. town cops, which my mom knew because she was the crossing guard and she ran the yeah, bank. Yeah. And so they're like, hey, ma- Mrs. Mama C, they call her Mama Jane, Mama C, is, uh, where's little Mel? He's in the basement. Okay, they want to talk to him and stuff. So <clears throat> anyways. What happened was my parents had to flip the bill for his hospital stay. You know, I mean, I think he had a little busted nose or something like that. They had to flip the bill. So they threw me out of that school, and my mom was going to have to drive me 50 minutes. So I looked at her and said, Mom, I'm going to walk out the back door. I'm not into the school stuff, so why don't you sign me out? So my mom had to sign me out because I wasn't 16 to go out of school. So my family had a huge house and a big pool in the backyard. So I started lounging in the pool, putting suntan lotion on, you know, I was 15 and all of a sudden one day she came home with some work boots and I go, what are them? She goes, Oh, you're going to work. You're not sitting in the yard in the pool. My uncle owned a concrete company. So that's how I started pouring concrete. And that's what them three biker dudes that I had met in this gym were pouring concrete, you know, just a coincidence and stuff. So now I'm 16 years old and you know, back then it's I'm I'm 53. So that's in the eighties, I guess. And, um, you know, I'm making 1500 bucks a week, 18 bucks an hour pouring yeah. concrete. That's a lot of money, right? Yeah. So I buy my first IROC. I buy my first Harley. And then uh, here, lo and behold. So what was your,
0: what was your first bike?
1: Uh, I, I My first bike was a sports Sportster, a Chopper Sportster. Really? Yeah, all chopped and longed out. You know what I mean? I bought that. And uh, <clears throat> lo and behold, I find out later in the gym, the same guys that are showing me how to lift weights were the same guys that were part of the Hell's Angels. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, they were members, you know. So, um. So once, once I, you know, seen them guys, and they're like, you got a bike? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, okay, you're young. I'm like, yeah, I'm 16. And so they said, you know, the story is the same guys that showed me how to train heavy and crazy were the same guys that showed me how to do the motorcycle lifestyle. Wow. That's how I stepped into that world, you know. And uh, and uh, so, you know, the the old rule back then was you have to be 21 to get into the club. <clears throat> None of the other club guys knew how old I was. I already had facial hair. I kind of was already a little bit big 510 I was probably 200 pounds training pouring concrete and stuff so when they took me down to the clubhouse to meet everybody the, this guy that's funny story. you know he got killed in, in the in our nonsense his name was Al Big Al and when we're driving down there and Big Al was like 6'3 and like 380 pounds of just biker looking dude right and uh and he goes okay when you get down here you're 21 remember okay and I said okay okay and so how I, old were you um 18 18 yeah so I get down in the room and guys get me in the room and they're just talking so you want to come around the club huh yes, I, yes sir I do I'm telling the president you know well, how old are you and I go mm. and I froze up Nick And I go, <laughs> 18 and they look at each other and, and, the, and the president goes what the and, and and I go oh no 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 Al didn't know I go because I'm in hanging out in bars I, I told everybody I'm 21 because I look older and And the president goes, yeah, man, you're going to age her off, kid. You look like you're about 25, (laughs) right? So they were like, listen, you can't come into the club. You're 18. You can't, you know, we're out. I said, no, I get it. I get it, right? So I get in the car. It's a a winter night. We're not in the bikes. We're in the car. I get in the car. He looks over at me. He goes, what the fuck, man? And I go, man, bro, I froze in that room. I'm looking at all these older cats, and it scared me. You know, I kind of froze, you know? And he goes, it's okay, man. So I I, I stayed their friends. I'd go to a party and stuff like that. Well now a year later I'm 19. I go to this big party and they grab me up and they're like, Hey, hey, man, good to see you. You know, I kind of didn't see them for six, eight months, a yeah, year, yeah. maybe something like that. You know, I was busy pouring the concrete Yes, yeah, so you're
0: just pouring concrete work. Yeah.
1: And they're like, How old are you now? I go, 19, and they're like, oh geez, they're like, okay, well listen, man, we're gonna bend the rules here for you. You know, you can uh, start coming around the club. So that's what I did. Started hanging around with them and then I became a prospect at right like at twenty, and then I got my full I got my patch like right before I was twenty one. Wow. Yeah. So I was super youngest guy over there, you know.
0: 21 years old, yeah. past 10. Yeah.
1: Most yeah. guys, like the president at the time, uh, I mean, you know, he was definitely, you know, if I'm 53 now, I think he's probably 76, 77. Yeah. So most guys were at least a, ge- a 10 year generation gap, 15 years ahead of me. I was the young guy, you know.
0: And you ended up actually becoming uh, president. the president, yeah. The president of the yeah, club, right. At 23.
1: So how in two years did you. Man, you know, I was like the—I got into the club and I really liked that lifestyle. I loved the brotherhood about it, and I loved everything that was going on. And we were in a little squimish with a, uh, another motorcycle club in our yard, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to call it a, a war; it was just a little thing, you know, fighting when we seen each other, jumping each other, you know, and this, this stuff like that, right? I'm going to did a different podcast and I call, it, you know, stuff you'd see on the school playgrounds and stuff. And yeah. People laughed, you know, yeah. and uh, S- so some,
0: similar to the same thing. Maybe yeah, maybe a little, a little more little, violent. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: I would be out every night as a prospect and, and, you know, and doing all this stuff. And then they would I would get home about, you know, six o'clock in the morning, just enough time to jump in the shower, and make my lunch for the day. And then I'd get off on the concrete field mm-hmm. all day long. And then by nighttime, I'd come home, I'd go hit my gym. I had a local gym, I trained that that gym. I'd go hit that gym, and then I'd lay down for an hour or so because I knew the cats were going to call me again to come out. So we'd go out and we'd see what we could get into, and I did that for a long time. And then finally, you know, when I got in the club and I started seeing what guys were doing, and I'm like, man, this working for a living is pretty brutal here. I'm trying to work 10-hour days in the hot sun and then hang out all night and go on trips and stuff like that. This is a little crazy. Well, then I learned the... The, the cocaine game right yeah. back then in the 80s it was huge right I seen guys that were making uh, you know a thousand bucks two thousand bucks a week and I'm like wow they're not killing themselves here so I went in and uh and and, and told my dear friend I wasn't working for my uncle no more I went to a, a, a different company a bigger company it was a good friend of mine I said hey I'm gonna you know I want to give you my month notice and he's like what do you mean where are you going what can I do for you Mel because I was kind of is me, me and you know each other. When I get focused on something, I get into it. Yeah, yeah, the bodybuilding—I'm 100. Yeah, yeah. percent I was into pouring concrete and loyal to yeah, yes. to whoever you are. Oh, I was are. loyal yeah. to the. I, I poured concrete. I loved, I loved working like that—that that hard work and just you know, pouring the concrete and just it was like an art for me. And I said, Meryl, I'm not going to another company, man. I'm just going to retire out of working in life. He goes, What do you mean? I go, Huh, brother? I'm going to start me a drug empire. <laughs> and he's like, What? And I said, Yeah, bro, here I go. And uh, that's how it kind of went from there, man. And uh, everything took off. And then when I became the president at 20. Well, 20- hold, on, hold on. So you, so the,
0: the club was already
1: into that sort of thing. They're already running business. Yeah. And not in a hole. you know, okay. a lot of guys did like to work. In the club, you know, yeah. I always say the the motorcycle clubs never started off as a criminal enterprise, it didn't happen that way. It was brotherhood, you know, yeah. post war, uh, yeah, Vietnam, yeah, it was Vietnam brotherhood and yeah. stuff. And then, whatever anybody got into on their own is what they got into, you know. You tried not to bring any heat down on the club, but listen, we're, we're one percenters at the time, right? We're just yeah. you know, trying to do our own thing and not, you know, where no one's wanting to really punch a clock. But we did have guys that work, but I was the one that chose not to, you know, I just didn't want to go, I wanted to be, live that one percenter lifestyle. So that's when I, you know, I got in with with the drugs and got shown that and then started making, you know. So
0: that was on your own or with, like, you just brought the whole club into No, that was on my own. So just your deal. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I started, you know, selling the cocaine to the different friends and people that I knew in my towns and stuff like that, you know. Next thing I know, I'm making what I'm making a week at pouring concrete. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do this concrete no more. Let me have the easy life so I can run around all day with the chicks now that I'm getting into and the motorcycles and being out all night, right? And I just got so taken by that lifestyle, you know. And um, so when I finally was in the club and, 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 and got my patch and everything like that, it was probably not even six, eight months later, I became our sergeant of arms. Yeah. You know, so that's how I started in the, in the, how, in the rankings.
0: How big have you gotten by this point?
1: So now, you know, when I, when I started natural, I started bodybuilding, of course, natural. When I was like really li- literally 14, I got bit by the weights. But now when I was 19, I met a doctor. And he, and he was like, hey, and, you know, I knew guys were going to him. And he was like, hey, I'll, I'll give you a little deck on it. I'd go to his office, and he'd give me a shot. I'd walk in the office. You'd see you'd see a little old lady with a broken arm and five dudes that were 290 pounds waiting to see him. And I'm, and I'm 19, and I'm like, wow, that's a crazy office right here, right? <laughs> you go back in, you pull your, your, your pants down, and he gives you a shot right in the cheek and stuff. And it was like decka. And I was yeah. like, I didn't know much about the gear back then, you know. Yeah. It was just, but it was all real. So <clears throat> just for me taking that little bit of DECA and the way I could eat and the way these cats showed me how to train old school with the deadlifts and the squats and everything. <sighs> My body went from 200 pounds to 230 pounds. And I, you know, just started growing off a little bit of gear. I didn't know the pro bodybuilding circuit until later in life, you know, yeah. I'm taking DECA. Now they give me, Hey, take a D ball, five milligrams of D ball a day, which most guys take 50 to 70, i I'm taking five and I'm growing. <clears throat> They're like, dang, man, this kid's got genetics. He's getting big. My dad was a bigger guy. So now by the time I'm 23, I'm 250 pounds, looking like a bodybuilder, you know, and, but wearing a, a, a Hell's Angel cut and running around on my motorcycle, right? You see a lot of old yeah, pictures, yeah. you know, and looking look that look and stuff. So <clears throat> that got me a lot of notoriety and stuff. And uh, one day I came into the meeting, I was late. I called up and I go, hey, guys, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. So, the you know, it's pretty strict in the in the meetings, like you better be on time. You can't miss yeah, meetings, course. you know, so. So I got I got stuck by a train. You know, I'm going to be about 10 minutes late. And I come in the room and everything, and we was looking, and they said, uh, hey, man, we, we we had a vote. You know, we had our vote every year as a vote for, you know, uh, leadership and president, vice president, all his positions. And they said, um, yeah, uh, you know, you're not the sergeant of arms anymore, you know. So I looked, and I go, well, how could you guys have a vote without me here? You know, who's voting for the president? Like, what's going on? And, they, and the president said, hey, man, we want you. You're going to take over for me. You're going to be the president. I said, what? I was kind of blown away. I said, "Oh, his name was Jerry." I said, "Man, that's you've been this for a long time—fifteen years, right?" And he goes, "Yeah." Listen, you get around. You travel to all the different chapters. You, you know, you get along with all the fellows and stuff. And it's time, you know. And, and I you had a bunch of older guys on the on, in in and the, the crew. In the crew. Oh yeah, the, I was by far <laughs> the youngest. I think the next probably closest guy to me was one of my tight guys in there, and he's probably six, seven years older than me and stuff like that Then it was me. I was, you know, That's a, a wild part, yeah. <clears throat> so I said, okay, and I said to him, well, Jerry, you got to, you know, you better show me the ropes here, man, and he kept me under his wing and, you know, kind of showed me different things, and uh, I traveled with him a lot, you know, just so I can get my feet wet and doing things, but, you know, I was always a, a good speaker. I can get into a room and talk to everybody, and, you know, I was always very um, – um, diplomatic with everybody, I can laugh and joke. And then when the rules came up, I could, you know, yeah. you know, enforce them and stuff like that. So, you know, that worked for me. And then, i uh, I became the, the president for Chicago and then, you know, was traveling were you the, were you the youngest. Yeah. Was the, I was the, the youngest president. I, I don't know about now, but yeah. at that time, yes. Yeah. By far, I was the youngest guy. When I'd go into presidents' meetings, one once a year, you'd have a whole president meeting, and you could they would try to get the other countries, in if they could come in, a lot of guys couldn't get in because of the laws and stuff. Yeah. You know, once you put that patch on, then you couldn't get over and stuff. <clears throat> so we'd have a presidents' meeting, and I'd look around the room, and I was like, "Wow, man, I just you know, these guys are in their 40s and 50s and been around for 35 years and stuff like that." And here I am, you know. And that was an honor for me, you know, to see that and be with these guys that. Paved the way and stuff like that. It was super cool for me to see, you know. And at the same time, I kept my head about me because, you know, then that's when things started getting crazy in Chicago between us and and the Outlaws, you know, because now we're, you know, we're we're in town and we're starting to grow and everything. And that's where they started, you know. It was their home base right there in Chicago, <clears throat> and um, the club that. Used to, that the Angels absorbed that I was part of was a club called the Hell's Henchmen. So we prospected for the Angels and then became a Hell's Angel chapter. So once that happened, you know, the, the city of Chicago flipped on its side. And then, you know, the other motorcycle clubs were told, you be better take a side. Not from us, but from the outlaws. Like, you better take a side. And then that stuff escalated pretty quick, you know. So that's how that whole... Thing got going fast, and you see a lot of stuff on the ganglands now about that Midwest confrontation that we had with them guys in the in the nineties. It got crazy with the bombings and the shootings, yeah. and it went from uh, what I called it the the playground, uh, you know, fights and, and throwing tan bark at each other and socking each other here and there to shooting on motorcycles. And you know, they they it put, got they got real serious. They real put fast. the they put the third largest bomb on our clubhouse to date. Really? So yeah, it, it went. Uh, the, the trade centers, remember the New York trade mm-hmm. centers, McVeigh with the Oklahoma mm-hmm. and 100 pounds of C4 in front of our Grand Avenue clubhouse, the third largest car bomb to, right now to today that uh, was ever set Right up. in front of your clubhouse, right in, fr- in the building. They put pulled a car up in front of our in front of our Everybody clubhouse, and no, nobody was in there. Thank God. And they thought it was a, the the ATF people told us if somebody was in there. It would have just blew all their uh, everything would have been bleeding from everywhere. The okay. concussion. You know, and, the, and, the, and it, I, I guess, it, I don't know much about explosives, but I guess it wasn't shaped right. So the, it was in the trunk of a car, 100 pounds of C4, so it blew down, right? Is that about? Yeah, it blew a seven-foot hole down into the sidewalk, which then the concussion came back up and it hit the front of our building. And we had a big, huge brick building with some steel in it and, and a big steel door that was on a roller. You had to push it on a roller. It was so heavy. Well, it blew that door across the length of the whole building the width of the whole building out the back of the out the back of the building through the uh, brick and everything and the concussion hit the building and it went across the street and you see on the video cameras of a city bus just going by this was five o'clock at night in the one of the busiest streets in downtown chicago grand avenue and this bus just made it by thank the lord right a bus full of people and then the concussion hit the house across the street which thank god no one's home and that was one of them Siding homes, like aluminum siding, and it just ripped aside. It looked like one of them uh, old cartoons where the, the 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 character got blown up and everything's pushed back on of you know. Yeah, yeah. So by the grace of God, nobody got hurt. There, there was just God's timing that nobody was in the path of that concussion. Mm-hmm. That you know that. So I learned what that does, the concussion. You know, yeah. it's the force. You know, so. That's when the ATF, and that's when everybody came down crazy. That with something like that going on, the bombings and stuff. When you're doing stuff like that, and me and my crew knew nothing about that explosive stuff. I mean, we couldn't even change the batteries in our pagers. We were we were just <laughs> we were some just thug goons, you know. Like, I man, yeah. so we didn't know what these guys were doing, you know. And uh, you know, to get in to get into like what they were doing, we used to you know have them the mechanic things you lay down on what do they call them dollies that you lay down on and look you know so we used to have them and we'd put mirrors on them and i had a vet now at the time that whatever year it was you know 92 vet and i'd have that thing in the back of my car so when i came out of a building or something i'd take it out and and roll that whole thing under my car and look for you know of any devices because that's what they did they uh because they were targeting you yeah Yeah. and they got one of our guys from rockford which was uh, you know about two hours away from us and um you know, he had a remote start on his car. He started the. It was a truck. He started the truck, and uh, they put the device underneath it, and they put a, um, a piano or a wire from the yoke, to the to the detonator part. So when he put it in reverse, that yoke spun and it blew him up. And uh, by the grace of God, he lived, but it. it, Holy it cow. He's in a wheelchair. It, it blew his legs all apart. Blood was pumping over. Died a couple times on the way to the to the hospital. They revived him and then made it work once he got there. But. And we didn't know that game, so, you know, I had to figure out what we were doing. And, uh, you know, of course, I found a retired Navy SEAL and said, let's get busy here. You know, if they're going to start doing it, we could better do it back. <laughs> you Was know? he in the club? Yeah, we yeah. got him. Yeah, he became in the club and stuff like that. So, yeah. and then, um, you know, that probably lasted. It, it didn't last as long as, you know, you would think, you know, but a couple of years of that stuff, that intensity is yeah. a lot, you know, and it took its toll on everybody. And, you know, we, you know, it, 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 it kind of like – Ripped the meaning of it apart, you know, like the brotherhood and stuff like that, because now we were focused on this full on fight, you know, can't go anywhere. I mean, I was out everywhere. Of course, I'd never I was too young to stay home. I wasn't going to stay home. I didn't join a club to sit in the house. Yeah. So I was out. But when I was out, I had a crew with me. You know, I trained every day in the gym and I'd have one or two guys go with me to watch every watch around why I could train you know, because I was that young dude. And then I became the target, not only for the law enforcement, but for them other cats that were like, I was going to
0: say, now that people are fighting and other people are getting hurt, I would imagine you had a lot of federal agencies starting to pay attention. Oh Boy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was so bad, probably by 95, 96, that they were just sitting out in front of one of my homes. I had a few different spots. I lived that with some different girls, you know, different houses and stuff. And they were just sitting out there blatantly with the tripod on top of the roof. And I would go out and ask them, fellas, man, like my neighbors don't know about all what I'm doing here. You know, I don't mind. You're out here, you're doing your job, but can you do it from in the car? Like you're out in the tripod smoking cigarettes, just videoing me, right? And they'd smile and laugh. You know, it was never nothing personal between the agents and me because I knew they had a job to do. I was trying to figure out what I had to do. So, you know, I wasn't that guy that was like, hey, F you guys. I, I was real cordial with them, you know. Yeah. You know, I used to laugh because they'd be in the back of our clubhouse trying to get pictures of the new guys or the prospects or hangarounds that we got, and they'd be hiding behind dumpsters and not getting their pictures, and I'd come out and I'd go, guys, stand for the picture. Because they're going to take your picture and get out of here. <laughs> if you think you're going to be covert coming into this club, putting this patch yeah, yeah, on, you yeah. got another thing coming. Like, get ready to get known.
0: <laughs> Just take your photo. You, let them let them, come let them get let out of the place. Yeah, so you yeah. get
1: ready to get known, guys, because you're not getting covert here. If you were doing something under the under the radar before you came over here, expect it to be in the radar. Yeah, you know, if you had a gig, you know, I had a good, real good friend of mine, an older school cat. About you know, if I was 25, he was probably 40. And he was slinging cocaine for 20-plus years, and nobody knew his business. He was undercover. He had a little gig going on, and he made money. And I told him when he wanted to come around, I said, man, bro, I don't know if I would do that if I was you because now – Because you got a good thing going you got right a good now. thing going. No one cares. You're going to get exposed. Now you're going to come around, and they're going to go, oh, hey, um, you know, Mike so-and-so. Who's he? Let's look him up. Okay, what's he do for a living? And now you're exposed. That's just how it was, you know. Yeah. So so you
0: so you joined at 19. hmm And then by 23 years, I was the president. Yeah. And then things kind of came to an abrupt end. Yeah, things came. You know,
1: 1997. um, And how old were you then? Oh God, let's see. I was born in 69, 79, 89. Right. So you're Uh, almost 30. Yeah, I'm almost 30. Upper 20s. Yeah, almost 30. Right. Um, um, I did it myself. Nothing to do with the club, but I beat up a guy pretty bad that was beating up an ex-girlfriend of mine. I was laying his hands on an ex-girlfriend. So as the story has it, I I had four girls that I kind of had were in my stable at the time. And, you know, I, listen out there, the women, you can't, I'm not a womanizer. You can't falter me for this. This was back in the 90s and stuff. And I loved all four of these girls. <laughs> so I was not willing to get rid of them. All. I had, you know, a girl that I was with eight years, a girl that I was with six, four, and then this, the two, you know, this, yeah. this girl Kendall that I, did this for us and i was really good friends with everybody's family and stuff and had them you know we all kind of lived in different spots not together four different spots i had and um me and kendall had split up just because you know i couldn't give her no more time and you know but i was very tight with her mom dad you know her dad and mom had this big local bar in our area that we all hung out at and stuff and uh the guy that she got into the relationships with after me, just, you know, he was a street dude himself, and, uh, you know, he just got some jealousy going in him, and, you know, she was a beautiful girl, and he started knocking around, you know, you know, hey, look, this guy's looking at you, uh, you're at the bar, I don't want you there, he just became jealous like that, you know, and I didn't talk to Kendall for, you know, for a while, because she was pretty scorned at, at me when we broke up, you know, and I would go into her parents' club still, because I was very tight with her mom and dad, and, you know. She knew the other three girls that I was with for years, but then I had my girls that I picked up at night—the random girls that I just were on my bike. Hey, and I'd bring them into the bar, you know, and she'd yeah. be all mad, you know what I mean? And she, there's nothing she could do because yeah, uh, we yeah. were gonna do it. So, um, so a real long story short, I got wrapped up with this. The, the kid got under my skin, and then you know, I, he, him and her lived in, in in a house together that was her real dad's house guy that uh, her mom was married to now, her stepdad was my friend. That's why, you know, so they lived in the house together. In the, and uh, so I ended up it being in the house and uh, didn't, didn't go too good for him in the house. But we got caught in the house. We got caught in the house. Me and I, I took two of my two of my friends, which happened to be two guys from the club. It wasn't yeah. a club deal, <clears throat> of course. But as we got arrested in the house and they're like, oh, there's three Hells Angels in the house. Well, the feds tried to make that or later in the racketeering case because they're trying to say oh, we so they
0: added it to the <clears> other thing they
1: they hit me with it with it uh eight years later under the racketeering thing i got that was a predicate act under the racketeering and even though it was just my own deal but i brought two guys yeah. in the club and they can kind of throw that But you're gonna explain in a little bit we'll, we'll get to that <clears> yeah you're gonna explain go. how that works mm-hmm. yeah so we got caught in the house and uh you know, they they took us off that night, and uh, next morning we went in for a bond hearing. You know, no bond. I mean, they were they charged us with uh, attempted murder, kidnapping, home invasion, everything you could think of. and oh, the they just like stuck. threw it at us. Yeah. And then the lowest one was an aggravated battery, you know, with a weapon. You know, that was the lowest that you know the, the of the felonies and stuff. So we we got bonded out uh, probably five or six days later when they did the fingerprints on the guns and stuff, and our fingerprints didn't come up on them. So the judge set a bond. We all got out. It was, uh, I believe the year was 97, and it was uh, December 24th, Christmas Eve. We got out that morning. (laughs) And uh, so we fought that case from the street for, God, probably a year to 14 months. And then the the, the three of us got found guilty. We went to a trial, and uh, the judge found us guilty just of the aggravated battery, the home invasion, because Kendall and her stepdad let us in the house. It was a real dad's house. He said, hey, that's my daughter in the house. They didn't. They had the keys, you know, we went in yeah. the house, uh, no attempted, attempted murder charge. We beat the kidnapping and stuff like that. So, you know, we got, we got, uh, four years on that sentence. Everybody did. Everybody did. Yeah. We got four years across the board on that sentence. So that was the first time I was going away at, you know, 28, 29 years old, 20, yeah, 28, I think. Um, <clears throat> the first time me going away. Well, when I was away, the, the feds had, um, uh, a thing on me that they ended up indicting me for. I. I one of the guys that was in the club with me, I didn't know that he got busted and he decided to go to work for the feds. So they put him on the street. They busted him at, they raided his house at three o'clock in the morning. This is what we got you on. You're looking at 60 years at 85%. You want to work? And he said, I do. Okay. We're putting you on the street. No one even knows you got busted. You're signing this agreement. What is you going to work? You guys work? didn't know. Had not had a clue. <clears throat> and I was tight with this dude. <clears throat> and, uh, so he's now, you know, in the club out there and, uh, The two guys that he introduced me to were FBI agents that, you know, I didn't know. They were posing as mobsters from St. Louis. But I knew a lot of the mobsters were all around the Chicago area. So when I met him, I didn't think, hey, guys, how you doing, and this and that. And then they had this big office, and in this office they had a warehouse, and they had boats in there and exotic cars and motorcycles. Oh, what do you do with these things? Oh, we ship them overseas. They're all stolen goods and stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I go in this room, this office. They got it recorded they want me to do a murder for hire. So I'm sitting there and the guy's talking to me and stuff, and he's like, Yeah, he opens up a briefcase, you know. It's got like 60, 80 grand in there and stuff. He's like, Caramel, and I said, Nah, I'm not into that, man. Do your own work. Why are you coming to us to sub something out for us? Well, we don't do that. We got enough of our own stuff to do. Why don't I? I was kind of t- turned off by him like you're a mobster and you're subbing this out? Thought you guys had your own Yeah, so I thought that was on. your thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. <clears throat> so said so I'm good. So I said to my the guy's name was Jim. He's passed away. And I said, "Uh, <clears throat> what, what's with these guys?" Well, I don't know, man. They, you know, they just wanted to talk to you, and they figured, you know, they want to put some money in your pocket. I said, "I'm good." So a month or so later, we're driving. So that it sh- work. Yeah, that didn't work. He goes, "Hey, we got to stop over at the, I got to see the fellows." I'm like, "Okay," we're at the warehouse and stuff like that. <clears throat> so now they talk to me about guns and automatic weapons. So I looked at Jim and I'm like, "Why don't you get them for him?" You know, you got the same. You can do what you want. You know, if you want some yeah. guns, we all had the same outlets. You know. But I didn't think nothing because he was my guy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think nothing. <clears throat> so here's where I screw myself. As I'm looking at all these boats and everything like that, and I go, so you guys take the, he goes, yeah, we'll give you, Why well, you got something? I go, yeah, I got this crazy IROC out here, the Z28 IROCs, right? And I had about 10 grand worth of tunes in this car. I had the car all done up, right? I go, I don't want it no more. But nobody could afford to buy it. Like, I don't want to sell it. Nobody really, young kids can't afford to buy this car, right? I said, so they said, listen, report it's stolen. We'll give you two grand in your pocket. And, and give us a few days we'll tell you when to call in for the insurance and collect the insurance on it I said great that's a great deal okay they give me two grand <clears throat> I get some glass I go to this gym not my local gym another gym I put the glass on the ground by where I said I parked my car I go in and train I come out I'm like oh man my car got stolen I call the cops up they come make the report great right I got two grand in my pocket the insurance co- all state pays me off on the car everything I needed right well that's great well, that would have been an entrapment case because they came to me first, right? But my dumbass brought them more cars.
0: <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like this is a great deal, it's a great game. <laughs> let's, let's So I'm going to game. my
1: friends, Nick, Mike, Tim. Hey, you don't want that? Come here, give it to me. I'm putting two grand in my pocket, bringing them these cars, and so I did it a couple more times, which I found out I furthered the yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing. So if it would have been the one thing, <clears throat> they entrapped me, they brought it to me. That that would have, it wouldn't would have, have gone. Been my lawyers, like we had could, we would have walked out of this, but I brought them some more. So I don't know about all this stuff. <clears throat> yeah, They pulled Jim off the street because he got in with one of my guys, and w- there was a lawyer back in the day that was helping us out with a lot of gun cases and stuff. <sighs> he, he went into a coma. They didn't think he was going to make it. He comes out of the coma. His wife divorced and married his partner, and took all the business stuff from him. Now he's out. So what's he want her? He wants her killed. So he comes to me. I said, no, 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 we don't do that stuff. I'm not, we, don't do, we don't get involved in nobody else's business. Well, he gets an angel on the, on the, that wants to take the money from him, and they sit out, and, you know, this is all everybody went to prison for, it." so I could talk about it. <clears throat> they sit out, they put the bomb underneath the wife's car. They don't know what they're doing with it. The bomb blows down, it burns her feet. Well, they got caught. And the guy that gave them the C4 to do it with was the informant, Jim. Mm. so he wires himself up and goes back to the guys, hey, I need that C4 back. What do you mean you need it back? We used it. You used it on what? On the lawyer's wife. Had him. So once they came and did that raid on the two guys in the club, they pulled Jim off the street, obviously, and he was gone. <clears throat> so he just, did he just disappear yeah,
0: from they, you guys? Yeah,
1: they took him, they hit him out with I mean, from your per, But from your perspective, did he just, like, gone? He was gone. He was gone. Didn't, they didn't know, know what, what happened. Once I got the call that morning, hey, they raided the clubhouse and they grabbed the two fellas. It, it all came from Big Jim, and I'm like, what? What? And then his apartment. Was, oh, so you knew that he it was. gone. Yeah, was, okay. yeah, he was gone. I went by his apartment, gone the whole nine yards. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. So he's in Witsack. He yeah. Out. So I'm thinking, I forgot about the the, the car stuff because I just forgot about it. So Statue of limitations runs out on not the Rico stuff, but this stuff in five years. So as I'm getting, as I'm going through the trials of the the stuff for the state, I get a knock on my door. And here comes this federal aid, these two federal aid, not the two guys, but these two federal agents. Hey, Mel, we need to talk to you. I said, okay, well, come on in, man. Come on in and sit down. What's going on? Yeah, we're getting ready to hit you with an indictment, you know, but we want to know if we can call your lawyer up or we got to knock your doors. And I said, please, guys, don't knock any more of my doors. And this was my third house raid. Now, if they would have did it, I had two house raids before this. <clears throat> I go, you don't have to knock my door. In. You got something on me? Call my lawyer. What are you charging me with? I said, They said, well, we can't tell you right now. So I'm thinking, God, the feds are here. <sighs> What are they going to get me for? You know, yeah. I didn't know. So my lawyer calls me a couple of days later. All right, we got to turn ourselves in in the morning to the Dirksen Building. Okay, I go down there. We're talking and everything. And they here comes out the two federal agents. Now that we're the make-believe wise guys. Hey, Mel, how you doing? You remember us? No. <laughs> you know, it's almost five years later. You don't remember us? No. Well, we remember you pretty good. Okay, stand up. We're charging you mail fraud. So I'm looking around at my lawyer, and I'm like, mail fraud. Okay, thats I don't know what that is, but it don't sound crazy at all. This yeah. sounds pretty good. Yeah. Well, I defrauded all state through the United States mail by getting them checks. Oh. So they had me on mail fraud, which seemed pretty pimpy, right? Yeah. You got the leader of the Hells Angels in front of you, and you get them on a mail fraud. But they knew what they were doing because now I went away to the state. I took a felony. Okay? Now they threw another felony on me, a federal felony, now, my criminal history just went from a zero to, to a, between a two and three on the top of the right. you know, the federal right. guideline book is criminal history on top and your offense level on the, on the left side. And where that interjects with each other is the months you end up getting for when they right. get you a Fed case. So they knew what they were doing. And they're like, let's get this kid, locked, you know, rolled up here. So I pled guilty to the mail fraud and got 18 months. So the day that I was getting released out of the state penitentiary, I went into the Sallyport. They switched my handcuffs. The marshals picked me up, took me to a federal holding facility, and then designated me to a federal prison. So I really did uh, uh, back-to-back sentences, you know, and then came home. And that was the, like, the very end of 2000, I believe, I came home. Couldn't talk to the club. I so was there's a-, a total of four years for the both of things. Yeah, the first time. Yes. So yes. two things, four years. Mm-hmm. Yes. The the assault and, and the, and, the and then yeah, then the mail fraud. Yeah. So then came I came home, in came home in 2000. Are you in
0: the club at this point?
1: I'm in, still in the club, but I'm on a thing called non-association that the government gives you. I can't see one, talk to one, can't nothing in the club. But if mentally, I walk... you're still <clears throat> there. Mentally, I'm there, yeah. yeah. I just can't go down to clubhouse. I can't go see anybody. I can't visit anybody. If I walked into a gas station or, you know, a restaurant and they were in there, I had to leave. Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty yeah. strict. And they were watching me. They were all over me, you know, when I came home. So I had that non-association. I started running some nightclubs for a dear friend of mine that had big, huge nightclubs in Chicago. I started putting all the security together for him. Well, I was so good at doing that in the security and putting all the guys in play that some other clubs grabbed a hold of me, and then it became a great gig for me, where I was making great money. And I'm like, God, all I got to do is go down and be in these nightclubs, in my presence, and have fun. And I'm, you know, I'm making you know, tw- 3000 bucks a week. I'm like, this is a great, you know. And I'm <laughs> out to five, six in the morning, having the time of my life, you know being on non-association and that kind of gave me that gave me the opened up my mind a little bit you know I had my daughter <clears throat> I had my daughter when I was just turning 17 she's 35 now yeah. so she was in my life through all that but I wasn't with her mother we split up and financially I was there for my daughter but physically I was running all over the country I didn't see, get to see her a ton and my mom and dad were st- were both still alive and <clears throat> and you know in a big Italian family every Sunday dinner you better come to the house and eat i don't care what i was doing or what chick was with me i mean i could have been out all night the night before and the girls on the back of my bike and we're showing up and my mom's feeding her too my yeah. you know, italian's got love for everybody right and uh so you know i got to spend time with the family now and see everything and i was like man this life is uh, it's kind of getting it's crazy for me and i don't know if i want to do this no more and i'm the type of guy where if i can't give 100 i'm not gonna fake it yeah
0: now you're in your you're in your thir- early yeah, 30s yeah, early 30s yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, making, you know, good money, legally doing some stuff. And uh, so um, to, right before I got indicted in 2004, I called the guys up on the phone. I said, guys, listen, man, I'm, I think it's time for me. I am you know, there's no retiring in the club. You quit the club. I think it's time for me. It's time for me to move on. I said, I'm just not, my head's not in it. And in that stage of the game and in that lifestyle, if your head's not in it, you're, you're going to
0: get yourself hurt. Or somebody else. Or somebody yeah. else. Yeah. You yeah. got to
1: be tight on what you're doing. You know, yeah. the, the, the differences between the angels and the outlaws at that time were kind of settled down. We kind of put them, put put them away bef- right before I went away in 97, we sat down with each other and said, let's be compatible with each other. <clears throat> well, by the time I got home, that was going to the wayside. The tit for tat was coming back in and stuff like that. And you know and you fel- just weren't into yeah, it. Yeah, the fellas thought I was gonna come back and then I was gonna be the president again and we were gonna roll this again. And I'm like, listen, I, I'm not making the penitentiary revolving door for me.
0: Yeah. Because
1: they're not small sentences now. Now yeah. my criminal history is up there. Now we knew that they were trying to get us with the racketeering because they recoed the the outlaws in ninety seven and it was a successful Rico for them. And there were like forty something guys that all ended up either going to trial or pleading out. You know, when they got you with the RICO, the MIs are so dotted. Explain,
0: so explain explain what a
1: RICO is. Mm. For, for so the know. RICO is short for for for, for racketeered influenced corrupt organization. So it's kind of a blanket, right? And everything – they got an enterprise. Mm-hmm. The enterprise at the time the Hells Angels. The outlaw enterprise was the outlaw of nation, you know. <clears throat> so everything that becomes a predicate act. So if we – you know, went into a bar and, and caught some outlaws and beat them up in a bar that becomes a predicate act later on the Rico. Same with them, you know, both sides, you know, you're doing it for furtherance of the organization. So you're not just doing it for Mel Chansey and Nick Kay and, and, you know, we're doing it because we're part of this entity, you know, that's the thing. And everything's a predicate act. You beat guys up in a bar, you know, there were shootings on the highway bombings of buildings. Well, we weren't doing that for our own selves. We were doing that for the club. And that's how the RICO comes in and blankets it, right? And, um, you know, I understood the RICO coming up through the club because, you know, I've seen other chapters get RICOed and stuff like that. But I didn't really know the extent of it. We used to say we're trying to keep ourselves from getting a RICO case. Well, now that I'm home, I kept hearing about them subpoenaing people to go to grand juries on me different people in my life, different stuff that happened, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, they're t- really trying hard to get this racketeering thing going. Well, years went by, you know, a couple of years went by and stuff. And then I heard that they actually opened up the Rico case in like 95. And I'm like, okay, we're in 2002 or three. They don't have nothing. If they're Rico and these friends of mine and they're coming back and asking me the questions, ask them in the grand jury. Not knowing they're just stacking the <clears throat> deck. They're just stacking the deck. Yeah. Yeah. They like to get the more the merrier, Yeah, you know, um, you know the more predicate acts the better you know so right before the I got the indictment uh, I had the four girls that I was with and I had a girlfriend in New York I had a girlfriend in Rockford I had girls that we know when I traveled they were like my travel girls I'd go and see them when I was in town right so one morning I wake up and you know it was it was afternoon actually and I'm out running around my cell phone rings and it's this girl from Rockford Wendy and she's like hey babes I'm like what's going on she goes hey uh Some feds just left my house. I got a subpoena to go down to Peoria for a grand jury. And I go, yeah? They said, yeah, something about a racketeering case with you. And I'm like, when's the date? And she tells me the date. I'm like, okay. 20 minutes later, half hour later, my one girl, Joanne, calls me. Hey, hey, what's going on, babes? Babes, the feds just left her. What would they want? They gave me a subpoena to go down in front of a grand jury in Peoria. I said, what's the date? She tells me the date. I'm like, okay. Hour later, Nancy calls me. I go, hold on, let me guess. You got a subpoena. She goes, "How'd you know?" I go, "It seems to be going around today." Well, they went and hit them all on the same day. Agents here, agents there. The New York girl, everything. <clears throat> so, the, what they did was on that on that grand jury day, they had all the girls sitting in one room together, and a lot of them were former dancers and stuff. And you know, the Nancy, the Joanne, the Kendall and Tanda, they all they all kind of knew about each other. Nancy didn't because she was my longtime girl, so I kind of like. If anybody that I Ins- sheltered was insulated. Nancy, yeah, the other girls kind of knew what I was doing and knew about each other, and we just rolled with it. <clears throat> so they wanted to aggravate everybody in that room. So when they came and hit the grand jury, everybody's pissed off, right? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, that was their play. So um, every I told everybody, call me when you get out of here. Call me when you get out. A couple girls, they never used on the stand. Nancy, they put her on the grand jury. They, she said they just asked her some, you know, would you ever see him do this? you ever see him do that? No, nah, Mel never brought the club around me, which, thank the Lord, that I was smart enough to separate them lives. Yeah. I didn't bring the girls on my motorcycles. I didn't bring the girls to club parties. Probably and the truth of the matter was it was because that was my magnet for other girls. Yeah. <clears throat> maybe that wasn't that good of a guy. Like I don't want to hurt them, but I just <laughs> there was other chicks around. <clears throat> but worked out good for me because, you know, Joanne barely knew. Maybe she knew one or two members, Tanda, maybe she knew one or two members because she worked at a restaurant. I never involved it, you know. So that was the good thing there. So when I called my lawyer up and I go, what is this dog and pony show? And he goes, Mel, this is, if they're subpoenaing all these girls that you were with, they're at the bottom of the barrel. And we're like, yeah, not knowing that, that was just to aggravate everybody. That was the cherry on the top of the cake. They had it. They had everything they needed. And shortly after that, <clears throat> then our doors got kicked in, you know. And uh, they indicted four of us, me. My sergeant of arms from Chicago and two Rockford Hells Angels, the president and uh, the vice president from out there. That was the, that was, they raided all of them. We, they raided us all at the same time in the morning, took them guys down. Everybody beat me to the federal courthouse in the holding facility. And uh, so now I'm, I'm out of the club though, now. I yeah. re- quit the club already, probably, you know, maybe eight months before this, right? <clears throat> and uh, so they're going they go, we got one more coming. And everybody's going, you know, my club name was Road. And they're like, I oh, yeah, we know who that is. It's got to be Road, you know, because how are they going to leave me out of a RICO, right? So then I show up at the courthouse and stuff. And uh, we go in front of the judge later that afternoon. Government's reading all of our racketeering indictments off and stuff like that. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, no bond, you know, we're off flight risks and stuff. Yeah. There's no bond on the RICO and stuff. So we just sit and you know, fight the case. Because they if, know you've got you, places overseas. And you could run, yeah, man. you know. And, you know, if, if me, and, and me and my, my right-hand man, uh, the Sergeant Arms at the time, you know, he was already to the penitentiary twice. I already did two stints, the state and the federal, right? So our criminal histories were up there. Now if we were knuckleheads and decided to fight the government and go to trial – you know, we had mandatory minimums of like 25 years at 85%. That's what I was going to say. I was like, what were you, what were you looking at? what we were looking at. 25, we lost the trial. We were up in, the, up in that 25 era, you know, <clears throat> but none of us wanted to just take a plea or go roll over and indict other people. Right. I mean, none of us were willing to do that, you know, because when you first sit in the room, they're like, all right, man, you, wanna, you, wanna, you want that time cut? Well, here we go. You're gonna, we're going to use you and travel you around to all kinds of different trials, and you're going to be a circus show testifying against everything we need you for. And we were like, time out. That's not happening here. Where are you putting me? My sergeant of arms was a huge guy too. Where do you think you're putting us? In Timbuktu, Iowa, and the Witness Protection Program? We're not going to blend in. It's not happening. We're not doing that. We're not going to you know, flip on everybody. So months went by, and we're figuring things out with the lawyers. Well, since it was you know, a 12-year-old RICO indictment, and there was no murders. That changes the game. <clears throat> you got actual murders in the RICO indictment, and there's not much they're going to be able to do for you. Ours were, you know, the shootings, the bombing. The, you know, there was some heavy stuff. But so we all were able to take a good plea from the government. And, you know, not come in on anybody. Admit to what we were doing in the club. You know, we were part of a criminal enterprise that was at a war with another motorcycle club and plead guilty to them charges, which was exactly what we wanted to do at the time, you know. <clears throat> and, you um, we didn't know what the time was, but what they did for my three co-defendants, they gave them a, what they call a global plea. All three of them had to say yes to it. If one of them didn't take it, they couldn't get the plea. They gave them a global plea to do for 51 months. And at the time, we were already sitting. And it was about 15 months now already, Nick. So I was like, wow, that's a great plea for these guys. Hey, how come I can't get that? Well, you know, you got leadership organizer role that's putting you a little bit higher and you are part of a drug conspiracy that you just got dropped against them. So they had, we both had the racketeering charges and a drug conspiracy, okay? So this is what the people seen on my first podcast, because when I got locked up and I was in jail and, you know, fighting this, and I wasn't in the club no more, well, some of my dear best friends at the time that were in the club decided to go start telling people, he's ratting. He's rolling over in there, and I'm hearing it all because I got some friends coming to me, and I said, guys, listen, I'm not rolling over on nobody, but I'm not going to be able to prove that right now. Time will tell. That Some guy, guys want to say all that about me? So be it, because they heard that I sat down and listened to what the government had to say. I said, so be it. I said, listen, if I want to roll on everybody, doors are getting kicked in, so time will tell. <clears throat> so we all had a drug conspiracy. The guy that the, the, the hell's angel that put my other three co-defendants in the drug conspiracy as he's in the witness protection program gets himself shot and killed by a, ripping off a drug dealer. <laughs> Nothing to do with the club. It was just a, a gangster type of dude, ripped off this drug dealer one time, got him for dope and money, left, seen him in a bar about three or four months later, punked him out again, the guy pulled a gun out and shot him in the head. So now this guy has gone out of the picture. He can't come and testify against these three guys for the drug part that he said he was part of. They said to me, we don't have these guys in a drug conspiracy unless you're saying you sold them drugs. I said, listen, I never sold these three brothers drugs at all. My drug operation came from outside of the club. The guy that I got the drugs from wasn't a member. And the people that I was selling the drugs to weren't members. We all had our own. I'm going to sell drugs to my own guys. They had their own outlet, <laughs> right. too. So." With, with so they got pulled. Me, with me not test, being able, you know, to able willing to testify and say that it was a lie, they had to drop the drug conspiracy against them three. So as we were in court and the government said, Your Honor, we are formally dropping the drug conspiracy against these three individuals here on a part of what Mel Chansey told us, I looked back in the courtroom and seen some members that were blowing my name out there, and I went... You're telling you're telling everybody on the street I'm a rat, and here I just got these three guys out of a drug conspiracy, which would which would have been would have put they wouldn't have had that global plea, that yeah. would have put way more time on the on the on the on the offer. But that, I had they'd to look to, at it over a couple decades. Yes, yeah, I had to eat the drug conspiracy. Yeah. Yes, I had to because I was part of my own drug conspiracy. Yeah. They had seven guys that were testifying, going kind to of willing to testify against me that they bought kilos from me in the whole nine yards, you know. So they couldn't drop the drug conspiracy. So so I pled guilty to. The racketeering and a drug conspiracy, where the other three guys pled guilty to just racketeering acts, got the fifty-one months. I got hundred and eleven months, which was nine three. But the the great thing about it was with me sitting down and doing that prof, they call it a proffer in the room, right? And uh, that's where people are like, oh, he's proffering. Well, when you if you proffer and you're gonna throw somebody under the bus and stuff, when it comes their turn to go to trial or whatever they do, you better you have to be there. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I kept telling everybody. Well, we'll see. Let's see how many trials. Let's see who gets indicted for me. Not one person in that club had to pick up a phone, Nick, and call a lawyer. Not one person had to spend a dime to call a lawyer o- over what I pled you to. you said guilty and you I went away, away for not three. and we went away, all, th- all four of us. We just yeah. did our thing. Them guys got kicked out of the club in bad standings because they pled to the RICO. My status got changed to bad standings because I pled to the RICO from yeah. my left and good. So be it. I get it. If that's the club rule, that's the club rule. But not one of them, nobody in that club could say I hurt nobody in the club. pled to my own stuff. If you think it was wrong that I sat down and did a proffer with the government, everybody's got their own opinion. But I had my life to look at too. Yeah, I'm going to soldier up right now and go take 26 years because you, I'm not supposed to say that I was part of a criminal enterprise. It didn't work like that for me. Uh, if, as long as I hurt nobody. And today, I'm, I'm home since 08. And I did that big podcast with, with Chris Cavalini. it yeah. has got 2 million views. And, you know, 7,000 comments under there. And I said the same thing. I go, not one person could come under here and say anything in this club that I hurt anybody. Inside the club, outside the club, not a personal friend, not the private guy I was getting drugs from. Zero. The government wanted us to plead to the case and put it behind them after 12 years. And that was the beauty of it, you know. So, you did 9 3. <clears throat> no. So, we came back in, and for me, sitting down with the proffer and kind of letting everybody and letting the government know, a lot of stuff they had in there, Nick, was untrue. They had a lot of stuff that, from people that came in before us, members that came in before us, and wanted to blow the totality of what we did. So up, they, were, they were just stacking all that stacking stuff. Stacking all the yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, I corrected a lot of lies that these former informants told. So I got the I got the deal for you know the proffer for sitting down and being truthful, just like them guys got the deal for sitting down in their proffer and being truthful, <clears throat> and um, and then they 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 dropped my 111 months to 60 months. Okay, you know, because kind of similar to them, you know, eight or nine more months or ten more months than them than them guys got, you know. So that was my deal for the proffer. So I came home in 2008 is when I came home, but uh, you know, and I know we'll get into talking about it, but that's you know. That second, that well, the first time, second time away federal. This was, I guess, technically my third prison sentence and stuff. But that's where my relationship with the Lord got so strong, because I kind of when I first went in, I was like, okay, God, how come I cleaned up my life? I am running a nightclub. you a believer all before that? Yeah, I was come from a strict Catholic background. You know, my mom and dad, church and Catholic upbringing and stuff. So that's different though than different, yeah. yeah it's a different, but experience. I knew the Lord. Yeah, I knew the Lord. Funny story is, I used to, you know. Uh, Come home at nighttime, not every night, but some nights I'd come home and get down on my knees and pray and say, Lord, you know, forgive me for what's the way I'm living life. Like I know the same, right? But forgive me. But then in the morning, I got right back up and did everything <laughs> again, right? I yeah. was the biggest hypocrite ever. That's a, typical, that's a,
0: Catholic, that's a Catholic thing. Yeah. It's a Catholic guilt. Say at a night. prayer, yeah, say Hail Mary, and, and you get back to work. You get back <laughs> to work.
1: So I, I used to say I'm the biggest hypocrite. But when I went away for this Rico, and at first I was mad, I was like, geez, okay, Lord, how come, how come all this stuff now I'm doing the right thing, blah, blah, blah but I really wasn't doing the right thing. Yes, I laid the motorcycle world down, but I still was running around with the girls. I still was... You know, I wasn't selling the drugs. I still was just myself, you Not know... Not being a good man. Yes, basically. Yeah, yeah, yes. So a couple months after being locked up with the... You know, with right right after the, the RICO indictment, I just was in this cell and I was by myself. I was in this 8 by 10 cell by myself and I was reading some scripture out of the Bible and that's when I was like, you know what, Lord, I, I can't do this no more, man. And I literally... Got down on my knees, felt tears in my eyes, coming from my eyes, and I was like, okay, God, I don't really know exactly what to say to you, but here it goes. Take my life. I can't do this no more. I'm crashing the car. Take the wheel of my life. I want you to be my savior. I know how to come to you. I just don't know the words to say. But from this day on, I want you to teach me and show me I want to be a new creation in you. And I knew how to say all that, right? I had a longtime friend of mine by the name of Pastor Steve that was a Christian that was always praying for me. I'd come over to his house. He wouldn't push it on me. His family loved me even when I was in the height of my stuff. You know, I was always the same guy, right? You'd leave yeah. your kids with me because you'd be like man. Yeah. like, "Man, man, you know, I was always that guy. Tight with everybody, loyal to everybody. And I so I knew I knew how to come to the Lord and that's what I did. Down on my knees and I said, "Okay, you got to guide me cuz I don't know step one to walk with you. I don't. I just know what I was doing. And, uh, you know, I I didn't feel a change. I didn't feel nothing. I didn't get heavy chested. I didn't feel the Holy Spirit come in me, nothing. I just gave my life to Christ, and I started reading the Bible. I started attending the Bible studies in there and listening to the Word, and lo and behold, I was understanding the Word now. So it wasn't just something I was reading in the passages. Like, I will never leave you and never forsake you. I started understanding that, and my relationship grew. And I'm telling you, I was in an 8 by 10 by myself with about an hour a day out for some fo- fo- a few phone calls a shower and a little yard time and right back locked up so I got a lot of time in the word <clears throat> the pastor at this spot I was in used to come on Thursday and Sunday and sit with me and we'd study the word together <clears throat> and I had a lot of alone time with the Lord and that's where I credit everything that was like I tell everybody that was my time out that was the Lord saying to me we're gonna cleanse you of the past I forgive you, Mel, of all your sins, of course, because when we call on His name, He forgives us. But I'm going to teach you some stuff here, and you are here, so that was my time out, and I got, you know. Now I come home. Fast forward to me coming home. Well, that's when the hard part starts again. I was going to say. I was going to
0: say how. So, how old are you when you get out?
1: I got out. I was uh, 2008. What are we at, Nick? 18. Um, Well, I was about 39, I believe. Okay. 38, 39, 39, and. um, I come back out. I go right back downtown to the nightclubs because I told you so my... You
0: really, like, your life has only been started, like, 13 years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm home. What am I home now, right? Yeah, uh, yeah 13, 13 14, 14 yeah. years. So I go right back to the nightclubs with my partner. So you're actually, you're younger. You're actually only 40 right now. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I'm preserved. I'm preserved. And now that I'm not 300 pounds and I'm 220 pounds, everybody tells me, Mel, you look so young and youthful. I'm like, it's all that weight gone, right? So I tell, you know, I was just 53. Obviously, you helped celebrate my birthday. So, um, So now I'm home. I'm back in the nightclubs, running the nightclubs, making my good money again in the whole nine yards everything changed as far as me in the motorcycle world but the women stuff was still with me because i'm downtown the nightclubs girls 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 and i'm like god lord i, I can't do this I'm, I'm 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 falling here i need your help here i don't i don't want to do this no more you know and uh be right because before, it's easy <clears throat> to it's
0: easy to go back to and this is where i know. think people struggle is because it's easy to just go with what you know it's, it's harder to make something new
1: yes we don't know. It's it's, we're, it's the unknown, you know? Right. <clears throat> what am I going to do? Oh my god, I don't want to do this. Well, I met little Mel, my wife Melissa, before I got indicted under Rico out here in Florida. I came out with a childhood friend of mine that was living out here, and he introduced me to her and some friends and everything, and we just looked at each other like friends. You know, I still was had girlfriends back then and everything. Nothing, you know? And uh, so then when I came home, he had a house down here and was living down here on the other coast in, in, in Port Charlotte, Northport. And uh, I came to visit him in the house and, you know, seeing little Mel again. And, you know, she was in an eight-year relationship that wasn't going good for her. And she wanted to get out. Me and her started talking and stuff. And I said, well, if we end up dating, you got to come to Chicago. Because my dad had just passed. I was only home eight months and my dad passed. My dad was a very bad diabetic. So he passed at 76. He was very sick. My biggest fear was he was going to pass when I was in prison. But he hung tight. <clears throat> I got home. He made it eight months. He passed I moved back into my childhood home with my mother because she didn't want to be there alone. And we had a big home. And I'm like, "Okay, mom, I'm going to live right in the basement with you. (laughs) I'm that guy living in his mom's basement. You know what I mean? (laughs) But making 10 grand a month, you know what I mean? Just want to take care of my Italian mother that took care of me all my life, you know. And, you know, she died in my home here in Florida. You know, I moved her down here and stuff. So it was great. You know, the Lord blessed us with each other like that. So I told little Mel, you want to get together with me. You have to move to Chicago. I can't out here i need to be by my mom and you know take care of my business down here for a period of time anyway. yeah. yeah we did it for five years but um you know after five years of being home in the nightclubs and stuff i finally said she wanted to buy a house in florida so we bought a house just for the, the we were going to be snowbirds just to get away so she could see her mom and dad down here and nick i i finally had to get out it was like quicksand for me everything was coming back around me i had guys coming in my office at the nightclub hey brother I get you a key for eighteen grand. You know they're going for thirty five right it's now. So uncut easy, yeah. Right? It's Have, so easy. So easy. Everybody was bringing me back, and I got yeah. what they were doing. They were trying to get me back on the come up. Yeah. Let's get some stacks of money from Mel. He's our guy, and I appreciated that. You know, and that, and listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not bragging on myself at all. You know, I'm not like that at all. But it shows my character. I was good to everybody. Yeah, I helped everybody out. You wanted to come to the nightclub. Well, you it's, want it's, concert it's, tickets. It's, it's,
0: it's, it's the same now. You do the same thing. It's just it doesn't have it doesn't involve cocaine.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, with our core yeah, medical yeah. and stuff, right? So you know everybody was coming, and I kept saying, guys, man, you can't do that to me, man. You're too, you're, you're you're enticing me. I can't do that, and that's what I say. I don't dip my foot in that old pool anymore because I will dive in. People are like, Mel, you don't ride. Nope, haven't been on a motorcycles since so forth. You missed it. Nah, because I relate. I I relate everything back riding with the motorcycle. Everything comes back to me. So. I don't want to get on a motorcycle and start riding. And all of a sudden I get bit by the bug. And then next thing I know I'm in a strip club. And then next thing I know I'm doing that and that, and that it, it could take me that quick. Right. So I tell everybody, I don't put my toe in the pool at all. And everybody's like, it's you like got like an w- alcoholic. like, Oh, I just want drink. Yes. And everybody says, Oh Mel, you got so much willpower. No, I don't have willpower. I just don't that's go. Why in the places the, that's why I stay the, stay the fuck away from it. it. Yes, yeah. It's like, you're bringing me in McDonald's. I'm going to have a big Mac. man. <laughs> yeah, I can't right. be in there. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of what, you know, and my, my relationship with the Lord has been first and foremost than everything. Now I know why people say that, because when you don't want to let him down and you have this and you're, you know, listen, as people, we, the world lets us down, right? People let us down. You know, look at all the guys that were going to ro- rolled on me in the, in the grand yeah. jury. I was tight with them all. Godfather to some of the kids and stuff like that. But the, he's never going to let you down. So when I, you know, when things pop up in my mind and you know, there's these chicks over here looking at me and I'm. You know, they're starry at at me, and I'm 53 years old, and they're 28 years old. I'm like, okay, God, I know I'm not letting you down here. Whether it's my wife or not, I'm staying the path. You got me. Get me out of this situation, you know, and I can... Because it's you, about what you what you want out of your
0: life. Yes. You know, you got a
1: second chance. Yes. So now it's like, yeah. what, is, what does that second chance look like? Yeah. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. I do, You know, I spent most of my life being that hypocrite with the Lord, you know. I was always the guy that I gave my word to you. I was going to keep my word, and I don't care who watches this podcast. I know there's a lot of people that don't, you know, they ain't fond of me no more in life. I get it. Whatever. Oh, you're an actor, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah this, is little... all, this is all an act. We talked about this. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm home since 2008 and there's some people that really say to this day, he's full of shit. He didn't he's find the, the lord. He's the same old mel. He's the decep, <laughs> he's the master of deception. He's the same old guy and my I'll, my friends will tell me they're like, "And I go guys, man, listen, how how funny is that? They're like they don't know you and I said, "Listen, if I'm pulling this off, living this lifestyle since 2008, I need to be The Rock. I yeah, need yeah, to be yeah. Dwayne in every every single movie because no better actor would be than that. You know what I mean? Please." Well, I saw
0: something that, you know, and I I, I kind of took it hard as it was it's a funny thing, but it was basically like There's still people talking about the old you because they have no access to the new you.
1: Mm -hmm. You know Mm. what I mean? I never heard that one. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's
0: good, right? Because that's what they do. They, you know, people are talking about the old you, and then people change. You know, I haven't always been a good person. I've been a fuck up too. Yeah, I made some bad decisions. I've always been haven't always been a good man. And people that know me of those situations, they know. Yeah, you know what I mean. But that doesn't. That's not me now. Right. You know what I mean? That was
1: and that's what it seems to be. You know. Listen, and I still listen. I don't ever talk bad about. My old crew, I don't talk bad about my old friends. I got a lot of love for them guys still. Yeah. I just made a decision that they weren't comfortable with and not hurting anybody, yeah. and I left the club. And a lot of people don't like that, you know, and I had to live my life. I wanted to live my life for my daughter and my grandbabies now and my wife and, and, help and do what I'm supposed to be yeah, doing. Yeah, so
0: when were you able to, when you got out, were you able to, like, rekindle that relationship with your daughter? So
1: the first time, when I came home in 2000, my daughter was still, you know, I, I think, like, when I went away... Uh, well, she's 35 now. So when I went away with the RICO, I think she was like 16 or something like that. But the first time I did, and I told her, Dad's done with all that. Yeah. It's me and you. I'm, you know, Obviously, she didn't have no kids on. I said, we're going to do this. The morning they kicked my doors in for that RICO, my daughter was – they did it at, at, at 545. At 8 o'clock, my daughter went to go to the restaurant to meet me, to have breakfast with me. And uh, my mother called her and said, come to our house. She said, they just uh, kicked Kathy's doors in and took your dad. So my daughter was mad, you know. He said he'd never leave again, but it was for, I was paying the price for the old school yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. When I pled, I was pleading the stuff in the '90s, and so I she was it. mad at you. She was mad. She thought I for did some stuff, and well, until she until we, she understood it, uh-huh. and I told her her name's Danielle. I said, "D, this ain't no new indictment. I'm gonna plead the stuff I did in the '90s. My predicate acts stopped in 1998 because that's when I went to prison. So my predicate acts under the RICO were no more after '98 because I wasn't around the club." where the other three members still had predicate acts in 2001 and two and three, mine stopped because I was gone. So she understood it and stuff. So then when I came home from the RICO, she had just had my oldest granddaughter now, who's going to be 15, and then I started. You got another one too. Yeah, I got another one that's with us down here. So my daughter moved down here about a year and a half ago, and the youngest grandbaby is down here. My oldest granddaughter splits her time between her dad and here because she didn't want to leave the school. How (laughs) fucking thankful are you, man? Man, Unbelievable. I just, uh, that's After all that you get a relationship with her, your yes, grandkids. Yes. You got Mel like, yeah, that's why I'm so many times through the day when I do my devotionals, as you see in the morning yeah, yeah, and stuff course. like that, yeah. people are like, Mel, man, you know, we, we can see how grateful we are, we are, how thankful I said, man, I don't, you know, I, t- I tell people when you're in prayer, you don't have to get down in your knees every time I do it in the morning do it at nighttime, but I'll be praying. Prayer is a state of mind, right? I'll be in situations where we're in our core medical meetings and stuff, or I'm running, you know, helping with the IFBB and NPC. Everybody do not have the memo like us. Everybody's not the best person. So, you know, sometimes they know I'm a Christian and they start talking a little bit out of line and I'll be right talking in my head. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you got me here guide me through this. You didn't bring me this far to split this dude's head open and go into it, <laughs> going back into a prison. So guy, you know, <clears throat> we say a funny thing is we say, uh, I, you know, we know this other guy don't believe in the Lord, but I'd like to tell him like only because of the Lord you're getting you're, you're you got to pass right now in life, yeah. you know, cause he's not bringing me back there. So, um, so it's such a huge blessing and I'm, I give, I'm so thankful for what I'm doing and I'm thankful for that. He stepped into my life and, I gave my heart to him, and, 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 and he controls everything.
0: So you, so in 2008, you get out. Um, you're you're up there for another five years doing nightclub stuff, yes. right?
1: And then you came down here. I came down here, yeah. We bought the house and stuff. So, so we that's like... Uh, 2014. 2014. We bought the house okay. in April. And then all of a sudden, at the end of 2014, the opportunity comes up to buy the gym, which was an oh, old Gold's right. Gym achieve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big place, right? Big place, 14,000 square foot. Yeah. I tell my wife, babe, I don't want a gym. I so, said, I don't know, there's no money in a mile pod gym, and I don't want to be there. Oh, babe, this would be perfect. We could move down there. I could run the gym. You just need an airport. You can travel, because I was doing the bodybuilding stuff. Yeah. So you were, at this point, you were already linked up with the MPC. I was already community. linked up okay. with, with Jim Mannion and the MPC. Oh, cool. I, I, yeah. I linked so up. So that's with, really
0: where you were making your money yes, at the time. Yes, yeah. yes. I linked okay. up
1: with Jim Mannion, Jim Mannion in, in 2000 and, um nine yeah. at a show in Chicago, we met through some friends and I always knew who he was cause he was, the, he's the pioneer of the bodybuilding, you know? Yeah, so course, I always knew yeah. who Jim Mannion was, of course, you know, and I was a, a fan of what he was doing for all the sport and we became dear friends, you know, and then I started, you know, traveling in the industry with him and then I moved down here and bought the gym. We bought the gym. My wife talked me into buying a gym. When we bought the gym. We called it second chance after my moniker. Yeah, and that yeah. became my moniker. It's still you know? the name of the gym, right? It's still the name. Yeah. yeah they yeah. bought it. Yeah. A company bought it and they, still the name. And, um, and then Jim was like, all right, Mel, you're in Florida. He's like, you know, you're right where you're at in Port Charlotte, Punta Gorda. They, they can use a show. Come on. You're my guy. Let me give you a sanction. Start your own show. We started the Mel Chansey. I had a partner come in to help me run it because I didn't know what I was doing with the promotions of the shows and the expediting and stuff like that. <clears throat> and that was, um, I threw my first show in 2016. How many shows do you now do? Now I year? have three. Three a year. Through the year here. April, August, and December. Uh, the December show the holiday Classic became the biggest show in the yeah. state of Florida uh, with yeah, the number you're, wise you're,
0: wow you're locked down during
1: that time man bro that yeah. show just just took off and I mean it's amazing the competitors that are competing in the first week before Christmas you know and uh, it's just it's just it's just a blessing and you know what and they see the passion I have for them and what we do for the athletes and the, the give back I have and which and, makes sense and it, your you know, shows are kind of like an on-ramp to the pros right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm they're a national qualifier. To get to the national level, you win the, at the national level, you turn pro. I'm called national qualifiers. And, uh, you know, now here we are in 2022, and I'm helping Jim <laughs> oversee everything and, and and being with my guy Steve Weinberger and his his grandson Tyler Mannion. And it's just we, I, I became family to everybody and them to me. It's been an amazing journey to throw in my three shows. My wife is my partner now on the shows, yeah. and she takes care of the whole back. She's the boss. Man. She's the boss, right? Yeah. She does it. She got it to where That's I can-
0: it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and note there right there because of you know my my wife as well. Like yes. man, we just people don't understand. You just can't be successful without a good woman by your side. To, to truth. I mean, it really is like I mean I, I, I see the way you guys run and you couldn't do a quarter
1: of the things that you do without her. And I'm <sighs> the same way. Like there's just no way, man. Wait, she's on the phones with these hotels, getting the rooms booked, we're booking 100 rooms a night for two nights you know taking that attrition. sometimes
0: i'm wondering like what what am i even doing here? yeah <laughs> what,
1: yeah i'm just talking she, listen i'll be traveling and i'll see the athletes and they'll be like hey uh hey what's the what's the uh date for the december show in 2022 now and i'm like I-, I don't know and they look at me and they're like i go we gotta ask little mel you know she got it down to where i can literally come in and do what i do and that's yeah, yeah, yeah. to be with the athletes yeah i love to talk to the athletes." I love to be with them. I love then when I get when i when I open up the night show and I get off the stage and rile the crowd up and get the crowd loosened up, I go right, I spend all the time with my sponsors at their booths and everything. I take pictures with everybody, and then I go meet the families. I spend all that time with everybody, and th- that goes so far, and you know they feel it for me. I'm not just doing it because uh, let me go talk to their families because it's the right thing to do. I do it because I love doing it, and I want to find out what this person's journey was and what that person's journey was, you know and uh so, so,
0: how does this? I mean, I can mentally, I can tie it in, but for you, how did it tie in with uh,
1: with the hormones and, with, and we'll start working with Core? So, I years a year years ago, I've been with Sid almost five years, so with Core Medical. But years before that, I was with another company out of Tampa. So I learned, you know, the, the hormone. I knew the hormone replacement game, of course. What did I do with hormones all my life? So I knew the the the, the, the medical side of it. I got with the business. And that didn't work out. I didn't just just wasn't a connect for me with that company, <clears throat> so I stayed out of it for a little bit. Me and Sydney hooked up with each other, with Core Medical, and uh, <clears throat> it was just a perfect fit. Just, it's just the same story as you. You came yeah, over yeah. here. You were a perfect fit. We all jived in, and it was great for us. <clears throat> and so, how this works with me with Core Medical is. With both businesses, it's hand-in-hand because, you know, I'm getting ready to leave Thursday for the Arnold Classic, you know. So I'm at these big bodybuilding shows, the Olympia. Everybody knows who I am with what I do for Jim Mannion, and then I became a, you know, with the promoting side, so everybody knows. So they're lined up to talk to me, take pictures with me and stuff, and they're like, hey, we need to talk to you about CORE. Here, here's my phone number. Call me when I get home. I can't. I don't have no time today, but call me when I get home. So it's like I'm so – I say I'm so blessed, both businesses – just in tie with each other and go hand in hand. And I bring so many patients in from the IFBB NPC world that need hormone replacement, that guys my age that need hormone replacement, you know? a lot of times they've,
0: a lot of times, I think that you you explain it to me, because from old stuff and being on bad gear and being on, like...
1: Screwed their, they're screwed, yes. Their fshl LH shut down the whole nine yards, you know. So, I get to take the time to talk to them people. So, and then we get them off our social media, the patients that come in and see what we do and stuff. So, you know, it goes hand in hand with me and you, you know, you being a you know ex military and a veteran and stuff. You bring the veterans, they come and see your changes and stuff. So, that's the blessing. I'm like, man, Lord, I get to travel around, I get to interact with people, which I love to do. I get to give the give back. I tell them about the hormones or they're talking to me about the bodybuilding shows. I'm like, it's such a blessing that I yeah. get to have so much fun and do what I do and so, love it. So on the veteran
0: stuff, you're very passionate about working with vets and, and, and talking to those guys and helping them out. And yeah. So uh, what? how did that happen?
1: So everybody in my family was as a veteran besides me. My dad was in the Korean War. Uh, his brother was, you know, Vietnam. You know, my cousins were in Afghanistan. And I mean, I'm talking about I only have two sisters in my immediate family, but my cousins and my yeah, yeah. dad's brothers and stuff. It was a, it was a, it was a military uh, um, life for everybody, you know, but I d- didn't go that way. I went joined the motorcycle club, so I was always into military stuff. I was always watching my cousins get new decorations and stuff and seeing them. My one cousin spent 40 years, made a career out of it as he became colonel and stuff like that, teaching you yeah. know for the Marines and stuff like that. So I knew all that. So when I had the chance to, you know, when I was at Core before you came on, um, I hooked up with with this friend of mine, Melissa Jarboe, and her husband got killed in Afghanistan, and she's like, "Mel, I I want to push this thing through Washington, where Military Veterans Project." Well, to get into it, as you know, as we talked about, the V the VA and everything is not hip to getting you guys no. <laughs> with hormones, you know. And, it's just, and
0: the and I'm rea- and I'm, I'm kind of hard on them, but you know, the reality is is they're pushing. Um, SSRIs and it, it's a big it's a big government and pharmaceutical you know game um, and testosterone doesn't play into that yeah. that picture
1: you and know, I always you let know. you say it because I don't want to ever bad rep the VA or anything like that because I smash, didn't serve I'll smash the
0: shit out of the yeah you there. yeah <laughs> I <laughs> always if you guys ever see me and Nick and stuff like that
1: I let Nick go there because I can't do it I don't know it I didn't serve but I do know what I know and I was yeah. bringing veterans in and before Nick came on. And I was, we were trying to help them. So Sydney was, we were bringing them in and just, Sydney was really coming out of pocket. Yeah. Bringing these guys in and testing them and stuff like that, trying to get this thing going. Well, couldn't go through Washington because there's was too many, too many obstacles, too many ladders, the steps to climb and everything like that. So Sid and myself said, let's do it on our own. Yeah. Let's offer the veterans a, 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 a cheaper price, cheaper price with medications. We'll get them in for the cheapest blood work we can and, yeah. and we'll do this. And we'll sing it from the mountaintops and, and we'll and, see.
0: And for the people that don't really understand the reasons why I tell them, like, just go with core because this is what happens. Sure, you can you can get the VA to, and I'm going to make a video separately, but you can get the VA to give you testosterone, but you're going to fight for them for two years. You're going to literally have to fight for two years. Yep. Um, argue back and forth, you know, go through a million different people. Maybe you get an endocrinologist, maybe you don't. Um, at the end of the day, it's two years. And then what they ha- they'll, they'll finally cave and go, all right, fine give you some testosterone but that's it they're going to give yeah. you a little dose um one guy i know a bunch of people are getting like 25 mil, i was telling you that yeah. 25 milligrams every three weeks oh, wow. like crazy. and that ju- you're actually messing you up worse, worse because yeah. now you're crashing yeah. You know, you're you get you're going to feel great for like a couple seconds. Yeah, so that's it. And then, you know, 2 days later you're you're crashing again and you know, they're not so giving you any ACG,
1: they're not giving you anything else. Yeah, and and um, so just, i tell everybody the worst thing you could do with your hormones is just, play the roller coaster. Yeah, ride. exactly. Don't even start. Don't know? even start. Yeah, so yeah. I said
0: skip all the BS, skip, save yourself 2 years of headache and, you know, quit, you know, stop buying Starbucks, you know, mocha choka bullshit yeah, for yeah, for yeah. a month yeah. uh, and, and and put that $35 a week towards Make, right, because I mean, because you know, like you'll make more money, you'll have better relationships, you have a better, higher quality of life. They're like, what's the side effects? I don't know. A good fucking yeah, life. good life, <laughs> a good
1: life. That's the side effects. Changes the game, and yeah. then you know, and we started doing that. And then I knew so many military people, the Blackwater guys, and everything. And then yeah. once they heard, and one person told one person, and a person told another person. And then you came along, you know, you found us through a friend, I think. Yeah, uh, through right, Rocco. Through yeah. Rocco. Through yeah. right, 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 Rocco. And then you came aboard. And then, you know, me and Sid, we had a thing, me and Sid, because, you know, everybody was coming to us like, oh, I, got, I can do this. I can bring you 300 patients a month. And I tell Sid, okay, don't, don't pay them yet. Yeah, don't do anything. Let them, let them do it. Let's see what they got. That's what you did with me. You know how hard yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Come on. It's yeah. not easy to do yeah. it. You, you have to have a nat. You have to have a That was the following. thing. is like
0: I had I had people that were like, they were chomping at the bit because they needed support. They needed someone who knew what they were doing to actually give a shit about them. And, and, Plus, and, you put your story out to the world. Yeah, and I told them my own. You know, I got very vulnerable and told them my own stuff. It's you know the what best. I mean? being, you know, coming on, being off with yeah. a kid and everything.
1: Yeah. And, and, your story's the best because you were honest with everybody and then they see the way you're I feeling. Would, and I wouldn't. wouldn't tr- I wouldn't have the life that i have right now no. without it i would be like transformation a, you yeah. made in your body yeah, and not exactly. only physical mentally yeah. your wife and your child and everything changed for you so you have that following from the military that gets with you now you bring in a huge amount of patience so I look at Sid, and I'm like, wow, we're five years later, man. Look at what Core is doing now. Like, I nationally, never thought, yes. Nationally. The yeah. company just grew and expanded and stuff, yeah. me and you. And, you know, we have other people, Rocco, that bring them in. You know, we're not taking all the credit by no means. But we have a great team that believes in what they're doing. You, and, know, what's you, know, coo- you know what's cool is um, um, our, our, our David Black. Um, got
0: a lot of guys who call Core, you'll talk to David or um, – Travis, mm-hmm. um, guys. but dude, he, like he was telling me, he's like, he damn near in tears when he's talking about like some of these guys that are calling him. He's like, man, I just love my job so much. I get to talk to these guys and like change their life for the better and listen to them talk about one, the hardships that they're going through yeah, and then yeah. how, and then how yeah. this has helped them. Mm-hmm. and uh and from a you know and he's one of the onboarding specialists and, for and intake yeah we have and such a great team he, and he loves his job he's working like 12 hours a day talking to these guys and he yeah. loves his job because he can hear the you can hear them and, you know on the phone going and yeah. how their life is changing and it's just cool to see from their aspect yes from an employee's aspect seeing them of them. like appreciate how Thankful he is
1: for his yeah. job because he just gets to help people. And I it. love when the when the my patients hit me back up after they got inboarded and and they're on and they say, Hey, listen, Mel, uh, Mike Arrow, Matt Stevens, the patient coordinators. These guys are great, man. They take yeah. their time with me. We're not just you know we're not just a money sign to them. They're very great, and and I'm gonna brag on the team. We have yeah. an amazing team because they know. That's why I laughed. Yeah, go ahead. They know yeah. if we're bringing patients and Nick and myself, we expect that patient to be treated oh, amazingly, of course, like a human being, like a human being amazingly, yeah. because we are gonna get. They're going to tell their family members, and they're going to tell their friends, and the referrals, and the referrals, I, but everybody better be treated I, right. I laugh
0: because sometimes you know, we'll post a video, and somebody will put some stupid, hateful comment, like, oh, this is snake oil, blah, 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 and I just laugh, because I'm like, oh, "You obviously, you don't know, and then there's like 20 comments below, like, well, actually, changed my
1: life, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean, my, my relationship with my wife is better, Yeah, um, it's yeah. just funny, but. it's just so cool to be in our position to do this and help. It's the give back for me. I love, I was helping everybody in the gyms back in the day. Hey, knucklehead, get off all that gear. You don't need to be on seven different components right now. Get off all that. Get off this, get off the anadryl. I was helping them just for free because I didn't want to see nobody hurt themselves. I was fortunate enough to have doctors in my background back in the day that were telling me, you know, don't kill yourself over this. You get, you know, so I was giving back before we got with core. Then I got with core and I was like, now I can do this. Make a, Paycheck from this a living, and 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 give out the great advice and hook them with it with with a great team of doctors, a great company, the pharmacies. It's just so great. We didn't have this back in my day. This would have been amazing back then. You couldn't get no blood work and all this stuff. I mean, even
0: even when I got out, it was more difficult. Mm -hmm. When I got out in 2012, it was you know I had I had to see a guy in Kansas City Mm -hmm. um, to 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 go to get it done. Yeah. And obviously, that didn't work out, and that's the reason why I'm with
1: CORE now. But, yeah, and, you, um, you know, I'm going to give you your props. You've been a great ad addition here. How long have you been with us, Nick? Uh, almost three years. Yeah, you've been yeah. great. I mean, it's been great. Almost you know, you fit years. right in, and you're family to us. You're always yeah. over here with us, you yeah. know, and we make you come here really like, quick. I'm a, I'm a
0: Florida—I'm actually—you know, I remember I was born here. You were here. born here, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like now that I—, I now that I'm getting older, and, and Florida, Florida's gonna be home here yeah. soon.
1: We make Nick come uh, to us, you guys, because we, to get to him in North Carolina, we got to do layovers <laughs> <laughs> in, in Atlanta, and we're not. I fly so much, I don't want to layover. We do layovers, so we're like, hey, so I go sit, get Nick down here. It's I nice know. out. Get him down here. Give jo-
0: Johnny and I are talking about getting our pilot's license so we can just fly direct. <laughs> that would be you know, great for the next two years. Like I flew here on a
1: little puddle yeah. jumper. It was great. Forty minutes in the air from my coast think, to here. I
0: think we did the time. I think it's like four hours. You know, yeah. from Wilmington to the Boca is like four hours. And yeah. if we do our own plane yeah yeah so that's what we're gonna have to uh, that's that's the that's the goal for 2022 pilot's license and start flying around wherever we want to go and here we are 2022 forget down. delta forget, yeah, forget, forget delta that, yeah, and all yeah, that yeah, other stuff
1: they're done. <laughs> done and here we are in 2022 sitting down and having some fun on some yeah. podcast and stuff like, so what's
0: next know. man what's next for mel
1: so you know the season starts for me to, to thursday with the arnold classic for the weekend that opens up my my season and uh i'm gonna go ahead and let the cat out of the bag some a lot of people know what i'm doing so I am, we are about ready to start filming very soon for my life story, my documentary, and uh, that's going to be done by Dwayne Johnson, The Rock so himself, have right? Have you as, told you know. anybody yet? I did a little bit on the one podcast I did with Chris Cavallini. He brought it yeah. out, and we just talked a little bit about it, but it's, it's right here. So um, we have a guy by the name of Billy Corbin who did huh. Cocaine Cowboys and Screwballs, and he's a, an amazing, amazing documentary guy. That's who's doing the documentary. We got John Bernthal, the Punisher, uh-huh. who happens to be Sid Gordon's brother-in-law, brother-in-law here from right. CORE, our yeah, owner yeah. of CORE. It's his brother-in-law. and The um,
0: Punisher. The Punisher.
1: <laughs> he is going to be part of the production team for the documentary. So the first mm-hmm. thing is the documentary that, you know, will be aired like on a Netflix or a Paramount, whoever. We don't know yet. We, we don't know that yeah. part yet. Whoever decides to buy the project and, right. you know. But working with Dwayne and Seven Buck Production Company, I mean that's the I mean, death. It's it's, it's greenlit. It's happening. That's, it's hap- it's yeah. happening. Yeah, we're right there. We're we're doing it right now. Everybody's got so Billy's aboard, John's aboard, and then John is actually going to play my life. He's going to play me in the scripted series. So did first, you tell,
0: did you tell John he has to gain like hundred pounds? Well, that's the
1: that <laughs> that's the funny story right now is because we're gonna. He's looking forward to. So he's a method actor. So when he after the documentary is up and running. As Dwayne says, hey, I want to I give the world an eight-ounce filet, so they're yeah. chomping at the bit to buy the cow. John, we want to do a series, you know, like the Sun's Anarchy, the scripted series like yeah. that. John's mm-hmm. going to play you and your life story. So John's a method actor. So when he plays somebody, he's coming with them. He's going to, yeah. he said, I'm going to live at your house for two, three months, get to know you. I'm going to get to know road back in the day, get in your mind and everything. And you're going to put some weight on me. So Dwayne was laughing. We were all on a zoom call and Dwayne goes, well, we're, we're not getting you to 290." And we're like, no, that's not happening. Right. But he's so lean and muscular now, yeah. John is you put 15 pounds on he's him and look throw big. him on a stay on a yeah. set. Yeah. he's gonna look huge yeah so i think we're more excited about training training him and getting him all jacked, jacked up a up. little bit than you know the show itself so he's so, gonna have to
0: eat i don't he don't eat that much no he don't eat you know, he's gonna have he's to so eat. into his yeah. thing yeah but he's
1: gonna because he's gonna be living with me so he's gonna be training with me and i'm gonna make him eat and you know <laughs> and uh fun, so man. it's gonna be cool so we've been it's been cool we've been doing this for almost just about three years you know with the with the story and getting the story together and you know the, the the retired ATF agent's going to have a big part of it because we remained friends after that. The guy that was oh, that's chasing right. me I around. I
0: actually did a uh, podcast with uh, Boots and uh, was it Boots and Sal? Lou, yeah, Lou, yeah, Lou. Yeah, 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 you yeah. did their podcast. So yeah,
1: these guys that were chasing me around for 15 years and you know no hard feelings. We we're friends to this yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. So he's got a big. That's the whole. So you know when Dwayne we started talking about this doing the project. You know, everybody wants to hear the old motorcycle stories. That's great. But the, Dwayne's like, this is the redemption story of you, bro. Where you're at now. The second
0: chance. That's what, that's, the, that's really the story. Yes. Okay. And, the,
1: and coming from a guy like him, he's like, Mel, you're an inspiration, not only to myself, you know, my, my 30 year friend, Terry Bolle, Hulk Hogan. And, you know, I know all the wrestlers and, and, you know, I, I walked in a lot of different arenas in life, so to say, you know, I mean, I've, you know, been around a lot of different people in life and, uh. They're like to see where you were and to see you now and to see how you talk about the love you have for the Lord and your family and what you're doing is an inspiration to us all. So Dwayne's like this documentary is 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 gonna be about the redemption and where you're at today. Yeah, we'll talk about the great stories of the motorcycle world and all that stuff. It's great, but this is what we're the, the world's gonna take out of it when they come out of it. You yeah. know, because I had book companies coming to me, you know, from the from in the last, you know. 10, 12, 13 years, I had A&E coming at me, Want to do reality series with me hunting ghosts, uh, you name it, I, they've been coming at me. I'm too lazy to go write a book and do a book signing tour, I don't want to be on the road anymore, you know, so thank the Lord that I passed all that stuff up, because had I did something, then Dwayne wouldn't, the Seven Bucks right. crew wouldn't have been able to tell the story the way they're telling it. Yeah. So it was his timing, right, he put it in my heart. You know, my wife's like, well, baby, if you want to do the book with the New York company, they're offering you $150,000 signing bonus, two bucks a book, a million copies, a bestseller. We'll get a big Winnebago and we'll travel around with the dogs. I go, stop. I'm not driving in no Winnebago and doing no book signing tours in every state in, in, in the world. Stop it. They, they'd have to give me a hundred million. Then I'll you sit. wouldn't
0: be able to sit by your pool every That's day. That's what I'm saying. I want to sit in the pool,
1: right? I'm not trying to do that. So thank God that. What'd I, you
0: tell? What'd you tell Johnny last night? You were talking about the one thing you missed uh, being locked up was uh, sunsets
1: and and suns. You don't see the night. You know night. You know if you're at in, out in the evening yard and everything. The minute that sun starts going down, you're they in, take they, you in. They letting us out that nighttime. <laughs> you're in. You're locked up. Just taking a shower without any shower shoes. You're putting the flips on to get in the showers, right? I mean. Yeah. Listen, the prison showers are clean. They got people that are cleaning them, you know, and prisons are clean, you know. But still, you ain't getting in the shower without any shower shoes and then seeing the nighttime sunsets and just the little stuff, you know. That's what it's about. I I remember in one of the prisons, we were, about 10 of us, we were in this yard holding facility, and I'm laying on the ground, and there's a big, you know, 15-foot wall, and on top is just a, a, a big steel cage, but that you can see through big slats like a fence thing. And I'm looking at the stars and everything, and guys are doing laps of cardio around a... 25 by 25 area and i go hey boys and they go what's up big mel and i go man this shit sure wasn't in the brochure huh and they started cracking up and they're like no it wasn't and i'm like damn if they would have told us this part of it we might not have been criminals back in the yeah, day you know yeah. we're watching out we're looking out the window we're seeing construction companies working on the street and i'm like boy i'd pay to be out there right now i'd pay them to be pouring concrete right you know no, what that's I that's mean? crazy perception man perception so it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm very grateful and humbled, especially with having the rock, you know, that was interested and we yeah. became friends. We met each other a handful of years ago and he knew my story, you know, of course, hulk was really good friends with his dad and i met Dwayne in the res- back in the wrestling scene and i was you know hulk was trying to get me into wcw to become a wrestler back in the day but as i tell the story you know i didn't want no legal gig i didn't want a gig where i had to be part of something where you i didn't to- want a job i not want a job yeah i didn't care what it paid i was making very good money as running the club was with my own little stuff i was doing and uh you know i didn't want to punch a clock and everybody used to say just this kid, Hulk, you're going to bring him in. You're, you're going to roll the red carpet out for him. It's probably going to be the heavyweight champ one day if he can learn how to wrestle pretty good, and you show him the ropes. And uh, my friend used to tell him, man, man Mel's kind of a different dude. You throw some illegal stuff at him, he'll take it. But anything legal, <laughs> he don't want to get involved in no businesses and stuff. And now we laugh because he lives an hour and a half from me in Clearwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm with him a lot, as you say. I'm with yeah. Terry a lot. And at 53, I got my aches and pains from the bodybuilding, the torn tendons and pecs and everything like that. But all them guys that spent that career wrestling, they're they're busted. pretty beat up, right? Let's busted. be honest, they're yeah. beat up. So he tells me one time we're on the boat, we're having some cocktails, laughing and joking. He goes to my wife, he goes, yeah, little Mel, I'm glad Mel didn't take that wrestling path. And he goes, I'm glad he went to prison. And I looked and I go, yeah, me too, by the way. You know what I mean? Like it saved my body from uh, walking. So uh, so yeah, getting back to the Dwayne thing. So that's, that's right now, right here. So the next step right here in March is the beginning of March we're at, is to... They're shop it out to to their buyers. That's all. Awesome, because that's man. who becomes the buyer. You know. I'm so, so excited. Yeah. Let's say the Netflix and Netflix is it seems like it's going to be the best fit because Billy Corbin does all the big, you know, the documentaries. Yeah. He hits the home runs over there with all his stuff. Dwayne just did Red Notice. Yeah. Seven Bucks team did Red Notice, biggest movie ever. So they got there. A, they got a good relationship. Johnny Berntahl yeah. is you know his is is a superstar right now. Yeah. He's got such a good such a good uh, rapport. In, in his field over there. I mean, he's a great actor as you see. He's coming Eventually up. He's, I'm going to get hit, I'm going to get his butt on this podcast. Well,
0: Eventually. he started his own. You see that he just started good. his own. It's yeah, good. yeah. Yeah. So
1: John's into that too. So maybe we'll go over there, you know, yeah. but, uh, so that's, uh, I'm excited for that. And, um, you know, as I tell everybody, I told, I told Dwayne, I told the rock and I told, you know, my, my attorney that's looking over all this for me. I told Hulk, told Terry, told my wife, I'm ready to do whatever comes down the pike for me here Um, whatever comes down whatever god's opening whatever doors he's opening for me up i'm not going to be lazy i'm going to be doing this and i said and they're like man you got a lot of energy for this a lot of spunk and i said well when you didn't get your first real your first credit card till you were 40 and your first really legit job yeah i poured some concrete when i was younger but like i said it it was a legit job but then i got off the radar for all the mirrors now I'm gonna be rolling with it. I said, you know, as my friends will be 60 something years old and retiring, I'll be on the walk or going through the airport still, you know, making a living. So it's kind of a funny thing we have in the house. But uh I'm ready for it. You know, it's like it's 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 a huge. And I know what the doors. I see the platform that God is allowing me to have, you know, just from my devotionals in the morning, I see what's growing and I see the people that come to this platform. And it's in 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 what I call myself, and it's dummy down individuals like myself, gangsters, motorcycle members, street people that are finding the Lord and they're seeing my devotionals and they're like, God, Mel, you're really so strong about how the Lord changed your life. We want to know about this. So I talk to different guys in every motorcycle club that left the club that are coming to me. And I say, all right, Lord, I see what you're doing. I see you're bringing this hardened people, these hard people over here. And it's funny because when we were growing up, if you had a Christian, you know, you kind of took, you figured the guy with the pocket protector and he had the Bible in his hand and stuff. But now to say you love the Lord and be a Christian, you can see the biggest dudes, the guys that came from the worst areas in life, that are not afraid to say it. And I'm like, all right, well, it's like it's like you're giving them permission. Same
0: thing with the veterans; like you're giving them permission to be vulnerable and to and to change their life.
1: Yes, because if you
0: can do it and I can do it then it's like you're giving them permission to go oh i can do it too yes i'm not being weak yes to, to, to be vulnerable and show some
1: love and show some yeah. compassion and and change my life and when i tell the fellows i'm like boy he's building a team of warriors you know yeah. i got g- guys that are still all huge and jacked up and tattooed up and they're professing their, you know yeah. their faith for the lord and stuff like that so now when you go you know, when Billy Graham was hot and he was doing this thing, you go and you see the normal Christian and he might have had that certain look to him. Yeah. Now you're looking around and you're like, that dude's a Christian. He's all tatted up like us. That dude loves the Lord. Like, wow, it's mind-blowing. So I just tell the Lord, I see what you're doing with the platform. You're driving the car. You put me on the raft in the lazy river and you're just taking me where you need to do and I'm going to do exactly what you ask me to well, do. So.
0: So go follow Mel Chansey. There's a lot of things in the works here. Not, not only that, but like, he's one of those guys that when you meet him or you, you, you get around him, you're just like, dude, I just want to hug this guy. He's the <laughs> nicest human being. And um, I'll take
1: all the hugs these days because of the previous me, there was a lot of violence in the life. So yeah. now for me, We're the love is, uh, yeah. is great, man. So,
0: so, so follow him and, uh, stay, stay tuned with all this stuff that we have going, he has going on because it's going to be, it's going to be good, man. I'm, I'm, excited. I'm, I'm excited for you and your family. Yeah. And, uh, and Then yeah, if, if you're if you're interested in um, in looking at your blood work, at the end of the day, this is what we'll say. I'll end it with this: just get your blood tested. The if blood, you're over thirty years old, just just go get. A, I'm not saying that you need it, but get your blood tested. The Don't blood,
1: the blood tells a story, and that's yeah. something I always preach on. Right? So yeah. you can we test everything. We got guys that think they want to come in because they need hormones because their hormones are low, and it is true. We see their all their hormone levels are screwed up, but we're finding bad pros, bad PSAs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're finding. A1Cs that are high, which yeah. is the sugar, the glucose. You're, you're almost a type 2 diabetic. We're telling right. people stuff that they would have never known. Yeah. Get the blood work done. Get the blood work Preventive done. maintenance. Yeah. Get it done before you maybe have the you heart don't, attack. Maybe you get don't it, need it, but now you know. But now you know. Yeah. Get, get it done. And we're here to do you. We'll help you guys out you know, through me and Nick. You guys come in through you seeing know, our social media, whatever we're doing. We are going to take care of you guys. Yeah. And we are going to help you, you know, to live that better life. And you guys are finding out stuff. Preventive maintenance. The, you people, don't have to the be a, people that know, know. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's, know, it's, know. It's, it's life changing. It's life changing when people get their hormones straightened out, or we find something, you're almost a type two diabetic. Stop this, get off this, do that. And then it saves them from going yeah. on insulin and stuff like that. But if you don't get the blood test, you don't know. We don't have a crystal ball. We can't look into you and yeah. say, You're low est- your high your high high estrogen, your low testosterone, your A1C is off, your prostate's on the verge of having prostate cancer. No one knows that until you get the blood work done, you guys. So the blood work tells the story of life. Yeah. You know, get well, it done.
0: Thanks, Mel. Thanks for hanging out in Boca. Thanks, yeah, and this in the is warm, awesome. The warmer weather. Yeah,
1: you have yeah, to Come up to yeah. my area. Yeah, because I'll be freezing in, in Columbus yeah. in the next few days. It'll be like negative twenty up oh, there. Oh, right? jeez. And I don't have man. clothes for that. I gave all yeah. my winter clothes away, like you said. You got sleeves. I'm like, I do have sleeves <laughs> somewhere. I, I dress up when I'm at the shows, but for when I'm out here, I'm in shorts. I'm in cutoffs. I mean, yeah. it's 82 degrees today, right? Yeah. We're in, we're it, in March, so.
0: So guys, uh, do this. Screenshot this. Uh, tag us both. Put this on your social media. Drop us a review. And uh, we'll we'll get Mel up to North Carolina eventually. We'll do a sure. full three hour podcast because yeah. he's
1: got man, he's got stories for days. <laughs> he's got
0: so much to talk about, and we can't do it
1: in an hour and a half. What did my favorite my one of my favorite movies Tombstones to Tombstone right? I, mm-hmm. I got scars. Yeah, I got scars. <laughs> <laughs> I got some stories.
0: So share this podcast, uh, tag us in it, and uh, we'll share it as well. People need to know. Yeah. And uh, all right, so we'll see love, you guys so on stuff. the next episode.